0: So we are up to point D of Unit 4 of The Gospel is the Power. Point D is a new creation, a chosen generation, a new humanity. Hallelujah. This is such good news, friends. I'm so glad that you're here. So we'll jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Okay, so we're regarding no one anymore according to the standard of this world or according to their flesh. Let's keep going. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Okay, so there's a story where the resurrected Jesus is talking to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, this is after the resurrection, but we could also talk about the disciples while the crucifixion crucifixion was happening, or even when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, the scripture says that everyone, all abandoned him. Everyone fled. Why? Because they were regarding Jesus according to the flesh. So the fact that he had died or that he was dying or being crucified on a cross The guys, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what they said about it is, well, there was this guy and he was really great, but, you know, we thought he was the one, but now he's crucified, so I guess he's not the Messiah of Israel. I guess that wasn't actually the good news. So you see, they were regarding it according to the flesh. They were regarding it in a natural way not through the eyes of God. And Jesus even said to them, are you so slow to believe the scriptures? So the disciples before, like during the the crucifixion, they're devastated. They thought this was the Messiah. They thought this was the one, the, 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 the God in the flesh, the son of God who had come to deliver them. And even though Jesus had told them on multiple occasions that he was going to be betrayed and crucified and mocked and ridiculed and spat upon and beaten and wounded and scourged, and he had tried to tell them, but it just didn't get through. They didn't understand what he was talking about. So in that moment, they regarded the whole situation in a natural sense. They saw it according to the flesh. Okay, the guy I thought was my spiritual leader is dying on a cross, must not have the right guy. Guess I've been deceived. Uh Uh-oh, better go back to work now. You see, so they're regarding according to the flesh. Paul is saying, we, we used to regard Jesus that way, but now we have a different perspective on the whole Thing. So we also regard no one according to the flesh, no matter what someone's life looks like or what persecutions they might be going through. Second Corinthians is Paul's letter. He's, you know, legitimizing his ministry in comparison to false apostles and false teachers, basically by showing how much he has suffered for the kingdom of God and how much he has shared in the sufferings of Jesus. And so, you know, sometimes I think if the Apostle Paul were going to show up at someone's church today, and he were to list off of like, oh, yeah, I went to this city, and they kicked me out. And I went to this city, and they beat me up. And I went to this city, and they put me in prison. You know, like in some circles of Christianity today, they would say, well, brother, you just obviously don't have enough faith, because if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have had all of those problems. Okay, that's regard according to the flesh. Are you with me? Do you feel me on that? Okay, regard no one according to the flesh. We used to see Jesus that way, but we don't see it that way, and we don't see anyone's life that way anymore. We have to discern things by the Spirit. So Paul says, this is a lot of people's favorite verse in the whole Bible, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. we The moment we are born again, yes, I know I've been talking about the fact that being born again and being regenerated, it is a process. However, the moment someone believes in Jesus, we can no longer regard them according to the flesh. We must regard them. They are a new creation starting now. Immediately, you are a new creation. You are different. You are now a child of God. You are no longer a child of the devil or of this world. You are new. The old has passed away. The new has come. So Peter puts it a little differently. This is First Peter chapter 2. He says, you, he's talking to believers, you are a chosen generation. And I put that in bold. Now, I know he goes on to say a royal priesthood and a holy nation, but I'm really going to hone in on the fact that he says you're a chosen generation, okay? Because a uh, generation—before Jesus came, we talked about this a little bit before— There were two kinds of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. There were people in covenant with God. Those are the Jews. The Jews were the only people in the whole world that had a relationship and a covenant with the most high God, maker of heaven and earth. And then there was everyone else. They were Gentiles. Gentiles are the ones who are far away from God. They're worshiping all their own silly gods that have no power, and they're all, you know, even worshiping created things and say saying that created things are god or worshiping people who claim to have some kind of spiritual power. But so we but now that Jesus has come, now there are two kinds of people in the world. It's a little different now. There are people who believe Jesus and there are people who don't believe Jesus. So people who do not yet believe Jesus, they are part of the first generation. That is the generation of Adam. So, you, I guarantee, have never met a single person in the whole entire world that cannot trace their biological descent. Back to Adam. Now, you might not be able to, you know, I don't think, um, what's that website with the genealogy thing? They probably can't trace back that far. Okay. They're good, but they're not that good. But I'm telling you that every single person in the world, no matter how far back they can trace it in the natural or with the paperwork, everyone is a descendant of Adam, Adam and Eve. It all started there. That is the first generation. But now, because of Jesus, what have we learned? We have the opportunity to be born again, not of Adam and not through the natural means of reproduction. We're born again by what? By the Spirit of God. We're born again through resurrection. We're born again by the living and abiding Word of God. That's what we've been talking about. So we are a new generation. We are the new generation, a chosen generation, the generation of the children of God. Do you see that? So there's the one generation, that's the old generation, everyone's a descendant of Adam, and then there's the new generation, a new, you know, the, the, the children who have been born of God, hallelujah. So Peter says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people and he is quoting from Exodus 19. This is what God said to the Israelites when they first came out of um, Egypt. God led them through the parted waters of the Red Sea. They traveled for a couple of days. They, they, it was about, a, well, about 50 days. Actually, I can count it. And the reason is because Shavuot is on the same day as Pentecost. It's 50 days. They They traveled to Sinai, And at Sinai, God said to them, if you will obey me and keep my commands, and he hadn't given them any commands yet, but he was about to. He was about to give them the 10 commands, but he said, if you will obey me, you will be to me a holy nation and a royal priesthood. You will be my special possession, my treasured possession in all the world. You'll be my people. You'll be my children. And, And God does say that even in the Old Testament. That was always God's intent for His chosen covenant people, to be His reflection in the earth by doing things His way to reveal Him to the rest of the world and to share His blessings with the rest of the world. So, I wanted to touch on that briefly, just to kind of show you what the whole point of being a new generation is, and that God's purpose for His people has not changed, even though we have moved from two types of people in this world, Jews and Gentiles, to two types of people in this world, believers and those who don't believe yet. We are the new generation, a chosen generation. We, because of the Spirit of the Lord and our faith in Jesus, who is the Messiah, we are now the royal priesthood, and the holy nation, and God's special and chosen people. God still has a covenant with the Jews. That's a whole different story. As I've told you before, that's a whole different class, but we're just focused on that we are a chosen generation. So, Paul also talks about in Ephesians 2. This is one of my favorite passages. It's so awesome. So Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now, why does Paul say that? Because Uh, back all the way to Abraham and then all the way through the times of Israel, circumcision was the evidence. It was the seal of God's covenant with Abraham. It was the outward sign of the covenant connection to the Most High God who created heaven and earth. So a Gentile who was not circumcised, their uncircumcision was proof that they were not in covenant with God. So David also talks about this when he's confronted. Goliath. He's like, hey, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Like, he has no power over someone who's in the circumcision because the circumcision shows the connection with the God who is all-powerful, okay? and people have asked I'll just put this out there cuz I know people you know think this thought but they're sometimes too embarrassed to think about it but in biblical times you know even when Paul had Timothy circumcised just to not create an issue even though circumcision natural circumcision of the flesh is not required in the New Testament in those days and even in the world today in some places there are public baths so it's not like you would you know go up to a place and they would have you drop your pants to see if you were allowed to come in. No, but there were public baths all over the place. So if you were circumcised or not, You know, people. It was kind of easy to find out who was where, you know, because of the way that things were done in that culture in that time. But anyway, I'm getting off track. But I just want to give you some background. So remember, you Gentiles, you were the uncircumcision. You had no relationship with God. And who called you that? The people who were circumcised. So you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the in the flesh by hands. So, a rabbi at eight days old, when a Jewish person is born, the rabbi at eight days circumcise them. It's called a bris. If you've never been to one, whew, it's an experience. But anyway, so. Remember you, at, that at that time, you as the uncircumcision, if you were a Gentile by birth, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, and were strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So if you were a Gentile, you did not have a connection to the Most High God. If you were a Gentile, you had no promise of eternal life. You had no promise of blessing from God for obedience. You were not included in the people of God. If you wanted to become included in the people of God, you would have to go through a conversion process, and if you were a man— Even as an adult, you would have to be circumcised in order to become in covenant with God. But if you did, then you would then have a covenant relationship, you would be considered a part of the commonwealth of Israel, and you would have the hope of eternal life with God in the age to come and in the world to come. So Paul is saying, if you were a Gentile, you had none of that. None of that was available to you. We're at verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, so a Gentile, you were far away from God. You had no connection. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Who's the both? Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. He has made Jew and Gentile both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So the dividing wall of hostility. So you picture in your mind in the temple in Jerusalem that there was a wall that separated. Gentiles can only come so far and no further. There is a wall that, you know, if you are not a Jewish person, if you are not a covenant person of God in the literal temple in Jerusalem, there's a wall that you cannot pass by unless you convert to Judaism through circumcision. But Jesus broke down that wall. But here we go. The wall is not just—he didn't break down the wall in the temple. Actually, the Romans did that in 70 A.D. I'm giving you a a pictorial example of how Gentiles were restricted in their access to God. They could come only so far and no further. They had no access to the holy place, no access even to the the courtyard that Jewish people could enter into. There was a dividing wall between the covenant people of God and and Gentiles who were excluded. But Paul goes on to say— He broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Okay, so the dividing wall is not a wall in the temple area. The dividing wall was the law. So the law is what prevents a Gentile from being able to have access to God. The law is the reason why Jews would not even eat with a Gentile or why Jews in their uh, zeal to obey God looked down so much on Gentiles and and would not affiliate themselves with them or shook the dust off of their feet when they would come back into Israel from Gentile places so to show that they were distanced from all of the practices of the Gentiles and not participating in the things that Gentiles do, the the, the law was actually creating a, a hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Whereas God's purpose for the law was to put to to cause the people of Israel to. Obey him and through their obedience to the law, God would be able to pour out all of his blessings into Israel. And then through the outpouring of God's blessings to his people, his people were supposed to share all of those blessings with the rest of the world. God has always been trying to bring all of the world back to him, but he chooses the minority, he chooses the unlikely one to bring the blessing to the the masses. So if you want to get connected to God in the days of Abraham, the only person in the whole entire world with a connection to the Most High God was Abraham. If you wanted to get connected to God in Abraham's day, you had to go be a friend of Abraham and at some point along the line get circumcised into Abraham's household. Okay, but then Abraham had Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 tribes, it became Israel. So you're starting to see how it goes. The point of the law was not designed to create that hostility, but eventually, what it became was it created this hostility. And you know what that hostility is called? Religion. Have you ever met a religious person? I know I have. You know what? They're miserable. They're miserable people. And all they do all day long is judge everybody. But do you know why they do that? Because all they do all day long is judge themselves by the standard that they have set up. They are hostile against themselves and they are hostile against everybody else because they are so self-righteous that they are trying to attain righteousness before God on their own. So hallelujah, guess what Jesus did? He came, he fulfilled the law for us, and we learned this. We have died to the law. Even if you're Jewish, you have died to the law. You haven't nullified it. Jesus fulfilled it. God is just and the justifier. He has broken down the hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed because the law was just causing everybody to be so religious that instead of, being the people of God being for the purpose of sharing the blessings of God and the revelation of God and who he is with the rest of the world it became about this religious behavior and all of this ah frustration all the time okay so jesus broke that down through his flesh so that by faith in him we have been made one. There is no more hostility between Jew and Gentile. So we'll keep going. That he might, he did this so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, so we covered the hostility. We're going to jump into one new man. Now, depending on your translation, I think it's the New King James that says one new humanity. That is the best translation of this verse. If it's not that one, it's another one that is my favorite one because that's really what it means. God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, created a whole new humanity. It's a whole new species. It's a whole new species of mankind. So we talked about you are either descended of Adam or you are a child of God. If you are a descendant of Adam, you are part of the Old humanity, the old man. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, he, through his death and resurrection, created a new man. The old man is divided into Jew or Gentile. The new man consists of all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is one man consisting of many people, just like Adam. Adam. He's got billions of descendants at this point in human history, right? Because that was thousands of years ago. But in the body of Christ, in one new man, there are millions of people, even in the world today, that are part of that new humanity. And in the world to come, we will be with the masses and the multitudes of those who are included in the one new man, the second Adam. The first Adam is the Adam whose name was humanity, whose name was man, mankind. The second Adam, his name is Jesus, and our job is to be found in him by our faith in his death and resurrection that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. So Jesus, we're picking up at verse 17. He came and he preached what? War? He preached judgment? He preached condemnation? No, he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So to the Gentiles, he said, hey, come on. God wants to share his blessings with you. He's preaching peace. God has made a way for you who are an enemy of God to have peace with him. And he also preached peace to those who were near. Now, let me tell you, I love the Jewish people. God loves the Jewish people. But just because they've been in covenant with him and are still in covenant with him through the law of Moses, what we call the old covenant. They are still operating in that covenant. It's like the bull cart that I talked about in a prior session. The bull cart is still on the road for them. That's still what they are driving around because they're not in the new covenant yet. And Israel, if you know the history of Israel, as unfortunate as this is, even though they were in covenant with God, they have miserably failed to be able to attain the righteous standard of God. This is part of the wisdom of God to show them their need for the Messiah, that they might be able to receive Him by faith. Even the law was designed to show them that they're incapable, incapable of fulfilling it, to drive them to faith. If you look at the kings and the chronicles, the ones that were honored and pleasing in the sight of God, they weren't always perfect people, but they believed. It's all drawing us to the place where we can believe. So just because we talked about the Gentiles. Gentiles. Gentiles are far off. God preached peace to them. The Jews are near to God through covenant for centuries, for thousands of years, but they even are in rebellion against God and they need God. So even though they, through their rebellion and sin, deserve judgment and wrath, in spite of the covenant, actually the covenant requires it, but even though they, they require wrath and judgment and punishment, Jesus didn't come to proclaim that to them. Jesus came to proclaim peace, peace, a way of peace with God in spite of your sins, in spite of your unrighteousness. Jesus fulfilled it for you so that you can have peace with God. Verse 18, for through him, we both Jew and Gentile have access to, in one spirit, to who? The Father. We've been adopted by the Father, so we can call out to Him as our Father, as our Abba, as our Daddy, as our loving Heavenly Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. We talked about this before. Who are the saints? The saints are the one from Daniel 7. The saints are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom. The kingdom of God will be handed over to the saints. When you believe in Jesus, you become a citizen with the saints. Hallelujah. And you become members of the household of God. Just like I said, if you, in the days of Abraham, If you wanted to get connected to God, you would have to be circumcised into Abraham's household. Well, now, through faith in Jesus, you become a member of the household of God. Jesus is the Son of God. When you place your faith in Him, you become a fellow citizen with the saints who are born again to a living hope, the eternal life in the world to come with God, dwelling with God forever, and you become members members of the household of God, sons and daughters of God who can call him Father. He has come to preach peace. He has come to call us a chosen generation and a new humanity all together.